This is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. On our last episode, we had a great conversation with Pastor Joby Martin from Jacksonville about the Neighborhood Church. I encourage our listeners to go and check it out if they haven't already. And as always, I have with me in the studio, Leslie Bennett. Hey there. Yeah, that was a fun conversation. He was an interesting guy, a very innovative pastor. So we had fun talking to him. better than an innovative redneck. That's right. You know what I mean? I love that about Joby. But we also have somebody exciting today, a guy that we both know because Brandon Shields was on staff here at Family Church. I think before my time though, I don't think I was on staff with Brandon. I think I just knew he and his wife. So anyway, you're good friends with Brandon, known him a long time. So Brandon and I go way, way back all the way to like 1996 and so I know Brandon very well. I know his wife, Emily, very well. He and his family used to live around the block from from our family. We still have every year at Halloween, we get out pictures from our kids uh, trick-or-treating together. And uh, I know Brandon's sister, and I know Brandon's parents, and I know Brandon's in-laws. And You got some stories maybe on Brandon. Maybe we'll fit some of those no, in. I'm, no, because Brandon can reciprocate, so oh, I'm going to okay. refrain. Oh. But I will just say, like, Brandon has done an incredible work. God has used Brandon at uh, Soma Church there in Indianapolis. So Brandon, thank you for coming on. I'd just love for you to introduce yourself. Talk a little bit about Emily and your marriage and your kids and what's going on at Soma. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be back with you guys. I was on staff there from 2009 to 2011, and obviously we go back much further than that. Yeah, so I've been married to Emily since 2004. We have four children. Both of us grew up in Louisville, which is where we had the opportunity to meet you, uh, Jimmy, and initially. And you were our pastor for a long time, and we got married there, uh, have four kids, three biological children, one adopted. While we were there in Florida, actually, we adopted our youngest. And then in 2011, we moved to Indianapolis to plant Soma Church. So I'm the founding and lead pastor here. We've been here over 10 years, coming up on 11 years in December. And uh, yeah, as I'm sure for a lot of pastors, it's been an interesting couple of years. It's been a hard and challenging couple of years, but also there's been I think a lot of goodness and a fresh season of just kind of experiencing grace and and resilience. And, you know, we're smaller than we were before COVID and there's more, more alignment. That's not all bad. There's more alignment. And I think there's a, just a sense of hopefulness for what's next, you know, although we have no idea what that is. So yeah, yeah, really grateful. I think for a church plant, an answer of we're still here is always a good answer. So we're, we're glad to be here, man. I'm so glad that you are too, Brandon. And I think, also, your influence extends well beyond Soma Church, and you're an author, you're a speaker, you are a strategist. Talk a little bit about your ministry through the Harbor Network and kind of what you do there. Yeah, so we got involved with Harbor Network, which at the time is Sojourn Network, and then we rebranded a couple of years ago. We came out of Sojourn Church in Louisville, and uh, yeah, just developed some relationships that are very close down the road. It's a network of like-minded church plants, kind of roughly in that like reformed evangelical world. And yeah, I think over the years, that's been a network that we've really gleaned a lot from just relationally, a lot of support and care for us, a lot of investment in, you know, in SOMA. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to come on the board and now serve as the chairman of that network. And so it's a lot of fun to be able to, you know, partner together. We're, we're a small network. It's just over a hundred churches, a lot of them in, in urban centers, 
just our context. There's some similarities there. But yeah, I love to work with them. I get to help invest in church planners, coach church planners, invest in really just healthy and thriving churches, which is what it's kind of our passion. And so Emily and I both are deeply involved in that. She does a lot of assessments and a lot of coaching with uh, pastors and their wives as well. And so it's been a huge blessing for us to be a part of that and to link arms with those guys, with those men and women. Yeah, I think it's really awesome just to see, Brandon, how you and Emily have been such great partners together in planting SOMA and then just how the way that God has expanded your voice and your influence really to internationally and the way that you guys have been willing to serve so generously with churches who really can't do anything for you. You're doing it because you believe in the kingdom of Jesus. And I think that's really fantastic. But let's go back to your neighborhood. I'd love for you to talk just for a minute about how you have planted that neighborhood church. Because when you first started, like you moved to Indianapolis intentionally, you prayed and you saw it and you researched and you found the neighborhood and you guys have planted your lives right there for over a decade now. And look what God has done. So I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. We moved to Indy and I think we had one Facebook friend, which at the time in 2011, <laughs> that's, you would kind of Google, you know, Facebook search who you knew in a city. And I think it was Joni Wagner, who, you know, uh, you know, I yeah. uh, was my, my nurse at my high school in Louisville, <laughs> but she lived like 45 minutes away. So effectively we knew nobody. And a lot of the research we had done was just demographic. And so we didn't have like an on the ground, you know, incarnational knowledge. And so we, initially kind of went to the suburbs because we knew suburban ministry and felt like, you know, we had this Robin Hood vision we could take from the rich and give to the poor. And Indianapolis, you know, wasn't really down with that plan. We were (laughs) there in Hamilton County, which is one of the wealthiest, fastest growing suburbs in the Midwest. And about six months in, God made it very clear to us through some different circumstances that he wanted our church to be down here in Broderpool, which is in Marion County. Marion County is just under a million people it's got about 175 different neighborhoods across Indianapolis, but really the city kind of operates on what they call townships, which is when UNIGOV happened and they started annexing in surrounding neighborhoods, this all became Marion County. We have nine townships. And so we're kind of right on the north side about an area called Broderpool, kind of straddles Washington Township and uh, Center Township. And uh, it's a really diverse area economically. Politically, you know, class-wise, you've got all the kind of typical urban dynamics happening there. And so there's, yeah, about 80,000 people in our, in our kind of on this north side of Indy. And so we started the church here in 2012 on Sunday nights with just a small group of people. And really, it was just through hospitality, opening up our home, coaching ball teams, getting to know our neighbors. That's really how SOMA started with what we called a missional community. And then those begin to kind of multiply. And we, you know, multiplied out, sent out more our communities and just got to know our neighborhood. And that kind of grew very slowly um, over the course of, you know, months. And then the first couple of years, and then about 2000, end of 2013 into 14, we were able to buy a building in this neighborhood. And then we actually moved our family down for, at that point from Hamilton County once we knew we had kind of a permanent place here. And so the ch- we literally signed the mortgage for the church and our house the same week, which is not a great idea. Uh, <laughs> if you're a husband out there uh, and listening, I have a knack for doing things that are not great ideas in terms of pacing and timing. So yeah, our strategy really has just been very neighborhood-based. I mean, I've learned a lot from James Davison Hunter, who talks about this idea of faithful presence. And then Leslie Newbegin, who talks about you know a, a local embodied church, a neighborhood church as a hermeneutic of the gospel. And that's really kind of how we have approached things here. You know, just really slow, organic, ordinary, you know, getting to know our neighbors, our people getting to know our neighbors, equipping people to be good neighbors. And then as we have the opportunity to, and you know, we could talk more 
like theologically and biblically, but just at a like conceptual level, it's just a very like grassroots organic being present to our neighbors, proximity, presence, and then particularity, I think being three of the things that we really value in that. And then trying to figure out how we help each other practice the way of Jesus. And then out of our practicing the way of Jesus together, we then offer that up as Newbigin talked a lot about, you know, what we do being for the sake of the world or for the sake of our neighborhood. And that's really kind of how we think about our strategy at the, at the court. Well, I like that. And I remember when you first started, Brandon, that you're kind of aiming at this other neighborhood you talked about, but where you actually caught traction and where the relationships developed and where it just became evident God was moving. And I love that you and Emily were so sensitive and sort of flexible and adaptable and willing to just, you know, kind of, especially as a planter, go where the spirit of God was working. And now you've raised your family there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot like, you know, what you see in the book of Acts. I mean, I wish I could take credit for it in terms of my sensitivity was lots of failure. So we just failed early and often and fast (laughs) and didn't quit and just kept kind of going, God, what are you doing? And you see that kind of in the book of Acts, how the spirit leads and how a lot of the the missional momentum is surprising even to the apostles and the disciples. And so they're kind of responding and sometimes being pushed into things that I don't think they would have anticipated. And so I think that's a lot of how we had to operate here was just being flexible. You know, there was no big like launch large strategy because we had nothing to launch except ourselves. And so like we didn't know anybody, we had no resources, we had no social capital. And so for us, it was it was kind of a survival instinct to be able to be constantly looking and discerning where the spirit was working and then trying to just, you know, join him and and what he was doing. So tell me a little bit, Brandon, what that looked like practically or what it even looks like today practically when you talk about doing these things in your neighborhood? Are there certain activities that you do? Are there certain methods that you try to train your people in? What does that look Mm -hmm. like? Yeah, I mean, I think that we are trying to, the idea of faithful presence is just literally just being present to our neighborhood and to our neighbors as God has been present to us. And so the pattern there is, you know, Jesus, one translation, John 1 says, moved into the neighborhood. And he embodied the good news of the kingdom in a very particular way with very particular people. You know, he kind of, you think about the way of Jesus contrasted with like the way of Herod, the way of Herod was bigger, better, faster, stronger scale, ideological propaganda, you know, just kind of a campaign. And and really Jesus comes and he, he takes the back roads and he's, he's very personal in his invitation with real people in particular circumstances. And so that's how, I mean, just practically we, we try to show up and be present and participate in our community. We know we're throwing block parties or showing up for our neighbor's block parties. We have people in our church that are starting local coffee shops and local businesses and local nonprofits, particularly in some of the underserved parts of our neighborhood. You know, a lot of it's just hospitality. We do a lot of training with our church on the basics of what Rosario Butterfield's idea of radically ordinary hospitality. And we just try to help teach people what does it look like to open up your home, open up your life, to extend the welcome of God to your neighbors. And and to do that in a way that, you know, like Newbigin talks about, there's a yes and a no, right? There's affirmation and, and a yes to some of the things that we can participate in. And then there's a, a no or a negation or like a challenging of some of the practices. And then we have to establish counter, counter practices and counter narratives uh, with our people. And so a lot of our teaching is, is very practice based. And I'd say that's one of the things we've learned over time is we've had to move it from like talking about this stuff to actually practicing. So like even in our communities, we develop practice guides and we do formation series several times a year that are aimed at helping people practice this way. 
of kind of neighborhood-based hospitality missional presence and really focusing on like their own formation, understanding like how they show up as a neighbor and being a non-anxious presence is very difficult, especially in a very ideologically diverse community like ours. You've got people that are, you know, progressive, you have people that are conservative and everything in between. And people just, it's hard for people to hold that tension and show up well. And so a lot of the work is just, you know, helping people pay attention to how they've been formed in ways that work against that. And then learning to hold that before God and allow God to do that work of transformation. So it's, you know, it's a lot of just listening. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just deep listening to one another, to the community. It's participation in what's happening, hospitality, things like that. So. And as you've done that, Brandon, you guys expanded. And over the years, you've actually planted some other churches in some other neighborhoods, I think mimicking this same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been able to be a part of, uh, we started two other local neighborhood churches, one on the near east side of Indianapolis, which is a very different context than ours. And then one on the northwest side. And then we've helped do a couple residencies for some guys that have planted both here in Indianapolis and then outside of here. And and yeah, I think it's been helpful. Part of the way we train is, you know, kind of helping people think about how do they get to know and understand their neighborhood and then enter into their neighborhood with that kind of, you know, calm presence, that loving presence that Jesus invites us into. And so, yeah, it's been a really great thing for us to be able to teach. Again, nothing wrong with, you know, I served on large churches. Some guys end up pastor in larger churches or whatever, but for us, uh, it is a more sustainable, I think, approach and probably more realistic for most guys who are probably going to pastor or plant local churches that are probably somewhere between 100 and 300 people. And so in that way, it's a very like reproducible model, even though you know, you're contextualizing it all the time. And Brandon, you, as you're engaging in all of this, you're in touch with a lot of churches across the spectrum of kind of size and context, at least in our country. What do you think that a lot of churches are missing when it comes to the neighborhood concept? Because there are plenty of small churches that aren't very good at reaching their neighborhood either. In fact, they probably would get bigger if they got a little better at it. So, you know, what would you tell all of us? Like, guys, here's some things you guys are just missing. And I know you don't want to be judgmental, but you are a consultant and you are speaking into this. I'd invite you to speak into everybody listening to church for the rest of us. I mean, I think there's a beauty to it. You know, every type of model has its own beauty. And I think some of the beauty of a neighborhood church is the depth. You know, you don't have the width, but you have the depth and the the intimacy and the simplicity and the opportunities for embodiment. And so, you know, I think a lot of it's just being attentive. I think a lot of people are just missing the opportunity maybe to be attentive to what God's doing. I think just starting with the assumption that God is already at work, the spirit's already at work in our neighborhoods and learning to pay attention and slow down and be unhurried in the way that Jesus was, as he went about his ministry, he was always busy, but never in a hurry. And I think a lot of us in our hurry and our value maybe for efficiency, we miss some of those invitations from the spirit towards us. And then, you know, I think for some of us, there's just fear, right? Like, I think we're afraid maybe to engage our neighborhood. We're afraid to be complicit in some of the things that are happening in our neighborhood. And so there can be a, a natural, you know, inertia inward within our congregations where, you know, there's, you're going to fail, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to go too far. Sometimes you're going to you know, sometimes assimilate yourself, right? Like there's kind of two dangers, right? There's assimilation on the one hand. Uh, and then there's, you know, I think there's withdrawal on the other hand. And for those who maybe are tend towards kind of insulation, you've got to be willing to take the risk of sometimes you 
you do get it wrong and you over contextualize. And then for those who maybe are, you know, assimilated, you've got to be thinking about, you know, what does it look like to be a counterculture here and not just reflect the dominant values. I'm in, I'm in a middle class, very upwardly mobile professional part of our neighborhood. And so for us, we we're constantly trying to figure out how do we challenge the paradigms of upward mobility and wealth and power and those kinds of things in ways that, you know, somebody who shows up at our church, they need to hear that message, but that that's a contextualized thing. And so I think we just, we miss the opportunity when we're looking at, you know, scale of impact, or we're just, we're just looking at, you know, church growth or, you know, how can I reproduce somebody else's model here, as opposed to saying, man, what are the beautiful things that God's already doing in my neighborhood? And how can I pay attention to those and begin to press into those. One great example we had here a couple of years ago was, you know, with uh, a lot of the racial tension that was happening back in, you know, 14, 15, 16, you know, police shootings and brutality. We had this opportunity that just kind of came together to invite our neighborhood into a conversation about racial justice. And again, like super messy. I know for, you know, theologically, people are all over the map with that, but it was just an opportunity to listen to what was happening in our community. So we invited the sheriff police chief, assistant police chief, the county prosecutor, community development people, different pastors. And literally like we packed out our church and we just had a a conversation. We called the talk. And it was a neat opportunity to step into something that God was doing in this particular moment and just host this conversation that was very critical in terms of understanding the story of our city and then, you know, where we were hoping to go in the future. And that has borne a lot of fruit for us in terms of just building bridges into our community over the last six, seven, eight years. And so it's a small example of just, you know, it's not rocket science. It's just being attentive and slowing down to pay attention, I think. And we're talking about this idea, Brandon, of the power of the neighborhood church. And so I'm just wondering what you think about that idea. Like, what is the power of the neighborhood church, in your opinion, the benefits maybe of it, and if there are drawbacks? Yeah, like I said, I think the depth, you know, it allows you to go really deep over a long period of time. I think the sustainability of it in terms of just scale and scope, it's it's more particularized and really kind of aimed at a, you know, just a slower pace, right? You're literally doing life at the pace of, you know, your neighborhood. And so for me, that's like, there's a Japanese theologian, Kosuke Kuyama, who talks about the three mile an hour God, you know, that Jesus walked at this pace of three miles an hour. And when you live in the city and you live in a neighborhood, you know, you, you walk a lot of times and it gives you an opportunity to, to be prayerful and to have a kind of intimacy with your neighborhood that, you don't have when you're in a car kind of racing by or racing out. And so I think that just the intimacy, the the simplicity of it, you know, again, it doesn't require lots of big programs, lots of complicated ministry structures. You know, it's a way to just embody, I think embodiment, you know, it's like you get to, as a pastor, you get to, as a people, embody the good news as you're, I mean, most of our church lives within a couple you know, blocks or miles of each other. And so like during COVID, we were able to get out as a community and like 50 of us walk our street and just pray and kind of be present to our neighbors when that wasn't, you know, kosher to do. And so, you know, on the other side, the limitations, obviously, I mean, there's less of a scale of impact. So if you're a person that really values those kinds of metrics, it's going to be frustrating because it's smaller and slower and very inefficient. There tends to be like less diversity, I think sometimes because in our neighborhoods, we often reproduce some of the sociocultural patterns, you know? And so like, I live in a part of the neighborhood that's predominantly white, just a half a mile on the road is predominantly black and Latino and Asian. And so we struggle with diversity here because there's just these lines that people don't cross. And, and so, yeah. And then I think the other thing is like, it gets really hard 
when things go sideways, because we're in close proximity, when somebody leaves my church, it stinks because now I got to see them at the grocery store and, you know, we're going to still be in relationship. And so I think that, you know, there's a downside to that proximity and presence when things go sideways. And so those are just some of the challenges. But to me, the beauty of it definitely, you know, far outweighs the, the limitations to it. Hey, Brent, I think you've been really helpful with all this conversation. A minute ago, though, you said, hey, there's some scriptural texts or some biblical passages that you think are crucial to this concept. And I'd love for you to just kind of point us. I know you can't unpack them in this format, but like point us in the right direction here, because I think that could be really helpful to all of us. Yeah, I think that, I mean, again, for me, a lot of this just comes from reflection on the life of Jesus. And I don't mean that to be like a Jesus juke. I mean, it really is like, read <laughs> read the gospels and really pay attention yeah. to not just what Jesus said, but the way that Jesus lived. You know, a friend of mine told me one time that the life of Jesus is inspired along with the message of Jesus. And I think when you see the ways that Jesus does it, it is kind of this very personalized, very particularized, very unhurried approach to how he moves through these different neighborhoods and moves in these networks of relationships with real people, not in a disembodied or like abstract way, very concrete, very life on life. And so I think just looking at John, the book of John, you know, read in the book of Luke, you can see that Jeremiah 29 has been another passage for us where it's, you know, there's this command to the exiles to seek the welfare of the city, seek the shalom of the city, you know, plant gardens, build houses, root yourself down, get engaged and invested in this community as an exile. One book that's been helpful in meditating on the Gospels is The Jesus Way by uh, Eugene Peterson. And he has a really great chapter in there on kind of the way of Jesus contrasted to the way of Herod. And he talks about this kind of incarnational way that Jesus went about his life and ministry. And so I think just, just meditating on and soaking in the Gospels and noticing how Jesus does what he does, and then allowing the Spirit to help cultivate an imagination for us in our own cities and neighborhoods whether that's a rural place or a small town or a bigger city, allowing that imagination to kind of saturate our own imagination and lead us towards what God wants for us. Hey, you, you've mentioned uh, Eugene Peterson's book, and you've mentioned a couple of other authors, Nubigen and Hunter. I wonder if you would just maybe point us to some other books that have helped spur on your thinking about the neighborhood church. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously those guys, I mean, Newbegin, uh, there's a great new biography of Newbegin by one of his disciples, Michael Goheen, called The Church and Its Vocation. And it's a deep dive into Newbegin's missional ecclesiology is what he calls it. I think that Harvey Kahn as another urban, you know, kind of uh, missiologist has been helpful. Obviously, Tim Keller with Center Church has been super helpful. Even if you go back, though, I think to the early church, I think this is the way that the early church lived in the Roman Empire. There's some great books that have recently come out on that. Alan Kreider's got one called The Patient Permit of the Early Church. And there's kind of like a whole genre of people that are writing. There's one on my shelf called Resilient Faith by Gerald Sitzer. Um, and he talks about the third way and how they lived in this kind of way and how they built essentially just kind of like a, the instincts and the habits and the practices within their homes and their kind of local communities that they then kind of begin to invite their community into. And it was the way that the early church grew and spread. So I've actually benefited a lot from kind of going back to, and again, it's different contexts, but there's a lot of similarities and it's been helpful to kind of reflect back on church history and to see, you know, what are we missing now in our context that we can learn from today? So I think that's so important because if you really think about it throughout church history, 
almost all churches have been neighborhood churches. And in fact, around the world globally right now, the vast, vast, vast majority of churches are neighborhood churches because most people have to walk. And so uh, that's the way it's always been. That's the way it is right now in the vast majority of churches. And so we kind of live in a moment and a bubble of incredible technological advancement. And we live in a nation of unprecedented prosperity and freedom of mobility. And so we think this is the way that, you know, that church was in Acts chapter two. It just wasn't. And so I think all of these things are so helpful. Brandon, if there's one more thing, a lot of people listening to this podcast are pastors. They're the only, they don't have paid staff. Some of them are part-time or unpaid themselves. Some of them have, well, what you said, I think the vast majority of our listeners are churches of smaller than 500. So if there's one thing you would say to them, hey, guys, if you're just starting to grapple or recapture or consider the idea of being a church for your neighborhood, what is the one thing that you would say, guys, at least start here? Here's a baby step that you could take from wherever you are right now. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely the situation that we were in. I went yeah, from this, you, uh, you know, mega church. I was became a Christian in a mega church, yeah. I served on two mega church staffs. And then all of a sudden I'm in a house church and I'm like, this is so awkward and weird. Yeah. And I don't have a staff. I don't have resources. It's just, it was just me and Emily. And so that that's not a hypothetical. And I think for us, if I could have two things instead of one, one, and I, I don't mean this in a trite way, I seriously mean deep prayerfulness. I really think this has to be led by the spirit, the pace of it, the imagination that's required to do it, the perseverance. I mean, just really going deep in prayer with God for your neighborhood, walking your neighborhood in prayer. You know, there were lots of times I was walking our neighborhood in tears just because I felt so lost, so disoriented and and so powerless to do the things that I felt God was calling me to do. And so I think that was kind of the crucible of transformation for me was that solitude and prayerfulness. And then and then, you know, I think just listening again, I, I go back to just one of the great benefits of being a planter was I didn't know anything about Indianapolis. And so we called that first year just a year of learning, a year zero. And I kept a file where I just would meet with people and I would write down all of the insights of things that I was learning from the neighborhood. I would interview people. I had a few interview questions. And then we trained our core team just to do the same thing. And so we taught them how to listen, how to ask good questions, how to look for patterns and what God was doing, and then to respond to that. And so that deep listening, I think is, you know, as a pastor, if you're pastoring a traditional church, you're preaching a lot. But one author calls this reverse listening. Oftentimes as pastors, we're not good at listening the other way, listening to our community, kind of an incarnational <laughs> listening. And yeah. so I think that that is something like, you know, preaching less at our community, although I think preaching is important and listening more to the real people, especially the people who are not there, who you want to be there and just saying, you know, what are they saying and what might the spirit be saying to me through them? And how can they become part of that journey and that process that God's working in you? Because it has to start with you as the pastor. You have to model that. And then, of course, then it becomes a culture with the church over time. Yeah, well, Brandon, thanks so much. I will just commend Brandon and Emily Seals to all of our listeners. They're some of the most passionate and articulate and intelligent Christians that you're ever going to meet and listen to. They're also extremely humble and extremely accomplished. So I commend Soma Midtown Church in Indianapolis to you, Pastor Brandon Seals and his wife, Emily. Incredible, incredible work. And thank you, Brandon, for this really good conversation. To all of our listeners, thank you for listening today. We would love to hear from you on this topic of the Neighborhood Church. You can email me personally at jscroggins at gofamilychurch.org. You say, wait a minute, that can't be your real email address. It's my only email address. And I love to hear from you. You can direct message me if you want. Just don't be too familiar. On Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins, I would love to hear what you're learning. Did I say that? I don't know. You did say that. I shouldn't have said that. What you're learning as you pastor your neighborhood church. Plus, 
It is November. It is starting to get cold where you are now, and it's time to make plans to join us in sunny South Florida at our 2023 Church for the Rest of Us conference. It's on March the 2nd, 2023. That's the first Thursday in March, and you can register at churchfortherestofus.com. I'm Jimmy Scroggins, signing off for Leslie Bennett and Pastor Brandon Shields, Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.